You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, I am so unbelievably excited for our guest today. As you know, we are in the middle of Women's History Month. Today is International Women's Day. And I cannot think of a better way to celebrate than by having you as a guest on our Lunch and Learn. Uh, it is truly an honor for me to be able to be a part of this one as well, too. I, I grew up playing softball and baseball, not even close to the elite status, the world-class status that you have played on. But, you know, it's kind of like, I want to be you when I grow up. And by that, I mean, we are the same age and <laughs> you are just a total trailblazer. And it is remarkable to see what you have accomplished. Um, just so everyone knows, we're going to do about 30 minutes or so, just getting to know Veronica, hearing from her, and then we'll do about 15 minutes at the end of Q&A. So think about the questions that you want to ask, and I'll let everyone know when that Q&A is going to start. But I wanted to first start, as you notice, she is decked out in A's gear, and that's because <laughs> she is in Arizona right now as an A's spring training coach, which she has done since 2019 for us. Uh, one of the few women in baseball to be uh, coaching on a major league level. Um, but let me, let me take it way back. I'll do a little bit of an introduction and then let's hear from your words. But, you know, you grew up in Miami as part of a Cuban family. You started playing little league um, and then switched a little bit to softball. As some of you guys may know that, you know, there aren't, you know, steady opportunities for women's baseball players throughout their lives. So sometimes they switch to softball, but then went back to baseball because, that is your passion and that is your sport um, and, and got those opportunities to do that and then really took advantage, uh, went to Villanova, graduated from Villanova, and then your baseball career took off. Um, a medalist in the Pan American Games in 20, a gold medalist in the Pan American Games in 2015, as well as a medalist in the Women's uh, Baseball World Cup several times um, and, and playing catching your entire career, obviously. Um, and then in 2015, she retired from uh, playing baseball, but that's when her coaching and managing career took off um, and, is, and has been thriving ever since, including coach of the year, including uh, the manager of the women's national, U.S. women's uh, national baseball team. Um, so quite the accomplishment and now coaching in Major League Baseball. Um, so I left out a lot of good info there. <laughs> I wanted to hear from you. Tell us kind of how, in a nutshell, how you got to this point. I mean, that was a great recap and I'm really happy to be here. So thank you for having me. But uh, we have all of that that you said. And, um, you know, obviously it's been a, a really great career. It's been fun to be a part of it. That's probably my favorite part is that I get to do what I love every single day. I did it as a player uh, and now I get to do it as a coach on at many levels. Right. I get to do it with the A's and I get to do it with the women's national team as well, which has been uh, wonderful. But uh, just to kind of harp on like you kind of mentioned like the transition to softball and stuff like that you know the opportunities are limited like you said for the women in the game um and so now mlb has been bridging those gaps of opportunities with some of the women's baseball camps which have been wonderful so i've gotten to work those as well uh but it's just kind of uh, been part of the process so a lot of our players have had to switch to softball for the opportunities and lucky for me I came back to the game which was my original love was baseball uh, so I was able to come back to it after college I did a google search for the Colorado Silver Bullets and I ended up on the USA Women's National Team site and you know 
kind of history, or it kind of, you know, fell, fell into line there. I came back into, uh, I feel like what was my purpose in life was, was to be a coach and to be able to help other people achieve their dreams. I know everyone here is just going to love hearing everything about your story. And I know that we don't have a ton of time, but I wanted to, this is, this is kind of a broad question. Do you have any role models that kind of carried you through to where you are today, whether female or male? Um, and, and any major obstacles that you faced as a woman in this industry? I know it's a two-parter. Yeah. And, and there's not enough time and I talk a lot. So you gotta, you gotta, we want to hear what you have to say. So (laughs) keep on talking. I'll worry. All right. Well, I mean, that question is kind of, I'm not always like a hundred percent on answering that question because I can't define one person, but I've been lucky to be uh, in great situations my entire life. I, being Hispanic, um, it's very, still very much the culture where there are gender roles. And I was lucky that in my household, there weren't defined gender roles and there was never a limit of what I could accomplish based off of my gender. So I'm forever grateful for my parents. Uh, I always mention them and I, and I sometimes realize that not every, everyone understands why that's an important statement, but still to this day in the Hispanic culture, girls are only allowed to do certain things or, or shied away from certain things because it's not part of, you know, the social norm of, of what that gender should do. So again, forever grateful for my parents, but I was, I was raising this gender neutral in a sense, just because they were team players and, and they just did what had to be done. Um, household and, and encouraged to do and be whoever I wanted to be. Uh, and then I went to an all girls school. So I was surrounded again by an, an atmosphere where they were very empowering to feed the females and, and pretty much you could be and do anything with hard work and dedication. Uh, and then every team I was on, I was around strong female role models. So I've been very fortunate to be around, um, you know, women with a lot of character and a lot of drive. And I think that has definitely helped me in my path. Um, and then I can't leave out my guys. We have, my guys have been super supportive too. And, um, you know, I, I think it's just a, a great source of people that I've been around and I've been lucky to, to be around a good, you know, good quality people my entire life. I mean, you mentioned you have a lot of supportive people in your corner, but you know, you also grew up in a Cuban family where it's not necessarily customary for women to play baseball, to play sports in general. And you mentioned to me, your, you know, your brother and your grandfather and, and baseball is in your blood, but they didn't immediately say, Hey, she should be playing baseball because that wasn't necessarily what people just thought to do. So how did, how did you kind of overcome that notion that like, even though you are part of this great baseball lineage, that it's something that you personally should be doing? Yeah. It's kind of crazy, right? That Cuban people love the game of baseball, but you know, 50 percent, you know, uh, estimate of 50 percent of the population is not even allowed to to play it or or even talking about it is like, oh, you, what do you know? You're a woman. Right. So it's it's so wild that in the Latin culture, we love the game so much. And yet we limit our girls from from being a part of it. Uh, but, yeah, I, I had my grandfather played baseball in Cuba and I remember him telling my mother that I shouldn't be playing baseball. And I loved it. I mean, I was, I was playing since I was five. I absolutely loved it. My my brother was at practice. I was at practice with him. Uh, and I've continued to love it just as much. So, uh, one day I was, you know, after hearing him tell my mom that I played catch with him and he kind of was like, maybe, maybe we should let her play this, but still in the back of her mind, it wasn't, you know, necessarily what I should do. But again, it's really just like rooted from the passion I have for the game, the love I have for it. And then the support of my parents going back to that and them just letting me do it. Right. Being my number one supporters to this day, they'll show up here at spring training just to watch me coach. 
you told me this concept of making believers. I thought that was a really cool term. I've always thought of it as guilty until proven innocent, right? Like when I worked at MLB Network, people always assumed I didn't know what I was talking about until I actually showed them, hey, I'm here for a reason. I know the sport, you know, I'm, I deserve to be here just as much as anyone else. And you said to me, making believers was something that you've had to do your entire career. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, when I would train for the national team, I, I always called, I would reference it as that, making believers. Uh, on the women's national team, we have to train on our own for the most part. And when it's time to compete, we come together and we should be ready to compete because we're about to go into a World Cup or some sort of event. Um, so a lot of my time was just finding resources in Miami uh, and just, you know, people to help me, people to throw with me, people to throw uh, throw to me. Um, I would ask to catch bullpens and I always you know, got the, you, you're going to catch our bullpen or kind of this like questionable look. Um, and then the other side of it is that as females in the game of baseball, we've always like, I think that the issue with women's or girls baseball right now and its development is that we're battling with the idea that everyone thinks that girls play softball and boys play baseball. So, um, we're kind of brainwashed in that sense. I, every girl on my, every girl that I've met in baseball, every woman on the national team has had this conversation where somebody asks them about, you know, what do they do? And they say, Oh, I play on the women's USA baseball national team. And they say, you mean softball and they'll correct us. So our entire lives we're battling with this, like, no, no, it's baseball. And you go through the whole, you know, horror deal. Um, and so uh, anyway, the, the, that concept of like, of making believers, it wasn't until I could tell somebody till I was blue in the face that it was baseball until I went out and I picked up a ball and I threw it. And then it was like, Oh, they start to process it, you know, and they start to like actually believe that I belong there as a, as a player, as a coach, whatever the case may be. Um, I like it. I think it's fun. You know, uh, one of the things I always notice that anytime I go to grab a baseball, everyone's eyes gravitate towards me. They all turn to me and I think it's great because I love to throw baseball. So um, then it kind of, you know, I hear the Latin kids make uh, comments and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's fun, but it's definitely about seeing is to believe it. Right. So it's a fun part, fun part of the process. Absolutely. And you talked a little bit about, you know, softball being the opportunity at some point for, for women, but, and girls, but, you know, baseball throughout your entire life is not always an opportunity, depending on where you live, depending on who your role models are. I know I switched to softball back to baseball, wasn't really sure what what could I do for the rest of my life if I want to keep playing this sport. And some of you guys don't really realize that softball and baseball are two really different sports. I mean, it's almost skiing and snowboarding, right? Like they're they're both kind of the same field and, you know, you have some of the same skills that you share between the two, but they're not the same. Um, and you mentioned to me, having coached 10 to 12 year old girls in baseball, that most of them show up and they have no idea that there are other girls that play baseball too. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the MLB trailblazer series that you coach in and, and kind of meeting those girls and why that age is so important for them to understand that they have the opportunity? Definitely. Yeah. The, so the three camps I was talking about that MLB hosts is the Trailblazer series, the Grit series, which is kind of a regional tryout for high school age girls. And then they select from that those regional camps into the Breakthrough series, which is a more uh, development camp, 30 players, uh, high focus, again, on development and then some inner squad games. But that Trailblazer series always is my favorite because especially the first two years where they were new to it, there are 100 girls. 
and the majority of them had never played baseball with another girl. They always play on their boys teams. Uh, they always play on boys travels teams, high school team, whatever the case may be. And so they kind of came in cocky, right. Thinking like, Oh, I, I play baseball. I don't know what the other 99 do, but, and then they all realize, Oh, wow. They all, you know, we all play baseball. And it was really cool to see them make the connections, the interactions. And then for the first time in their life, they were just baseball players. They weren't the girl on the field. So it was really power, you know, like a powerful moment for them to have that experience on top of it. Like all the coaches are uh, former national team players or current national team players. So they can create role models in that sense and kind of see themselves in the game in the future. I also think it helps the parents because the parents saw us, right? They've only dealt with their daughter being the only girl on the boys team. And then they saw us as adults, like normal functioning adults that got through it, right? Got through the difficult parts, got through the taunting and, and have made something of ourselves within the game. So it's been really cool in that sense. Yeah. And something I didn't share with you guys that, that Veronica also does is she's a firefighter paramedic in Hollywood, Florida. <laughs> um, and, you know, I just think it's so interesting how many parallels there are between catching in baseball and, and being a firefighter paramedic, which I have never been, but I imagine that both are kind of a male dominated industry where people, you know, you have to make believers. Right. Um, and we talked a little bit when we, when we met about, um, the importance of words, right. I've, I've always been peeved by the term throws like a girl. And I'm oh, yeah. sure you're sitting at the firehouse hearing things that you wouldn't, you know, that, that kind of irk you a little bit from people that either mean it or don't. Right. So can you talk a little bit about that and like how you can kind of distribute, um, feminism, if you, if you will, if you want to call it that in your, in your different areas from people that don't necessarily understand that, you know, that this is a male dominated industry that you're in and, and it shouldn't be. Yeah. I think I just uh, like the ability to pro provide perspective. Uh, a lot of men haven't experienced the things that we have as, as we haven't experienced what they have. Right. So it's just, but it's about opening their minds to different perspective and, and the importance of words, but just to kind of touch on like the firefighting and the parallels that I, I think, yeah, I'm a firefighter on the side, I say, uh, but it's definitely a full-time job, but um, I, I, um, I always say like, firefight uh play uh, being a baseball player being a catcher made me a good initial firefighter just the atmosphere the kind of um controlling chaos um parts of it and just like you know being able to work in this environment where uh there's you never know what's going to happen there's a high adrenaline being able to control that rush uh but and then being a firefighter has really helped me be a better manager when it was time to coach. So it's, it's all helped me. So the controlling chaos is our number one job in the fire department as a medic, as a firefighter. Uh, so there it's life and death. And here on the field, sometimes it seems like life, life and death, but it's not. Um, and it's just been able to like, kind of see the big picture is a big one for me. So um, I, there's really a lot of things that I, I take from from the fire department and bring it back to my coaching style, you know, the management of people, leadership and the importance of it. Um, you know, we, we undervalue leadership a lot of the times. And I think there is such an important thing that I feel like our leaders need, you know, more instruction on how to lead. Right. So sometimes we move up into these positions in the fire department and coaching and, uh, 
because we know it, they assume that we also understand management of people and it's not necessarily the case. So I really try to be as a veteran firefighter that hasn't really moved up because of my opportunities in baseball. I try to be that leader for the lower newer employee firefighters. And I also help the officers that are newer as well in that situation where uh, some of them are sometimes scared to step on toes and things like that. But it's just about Sunday is setting roles and priorities. And so I love all of that stuff and I can geek out on leadership and goal set all that stuff I could geek out on, but um, it's, it's the importance of words and they, the firehouse is a brutal place and it's fun. I have fun with it. If you can handle it, it's fun. If you can't handle it, it's not fun, but you know, the, the, just like in baseball, we prove ourselves on the field. If we prove that we have the knowledge and the ability um, and the character to succeed in this environment, you know, everyone, everyone jumps on board and, and supports you. And the same thing happens in the firehouse, but definitely the, the men in, are, are a little bit quicker to judge on the newer female firefighters. And so their comments are said and things like that. And I definitely don't let that happen. They don't say those comments about me, maybe because they know I'm a little quick witted, but they, they, um, they know that I've, I'm able to do the job and I just don't allow them to say those things about the other females as well. Um, and some of the females, like as females in these male dominated worlds, we, we very much have just been uh, happy to be in the, in the environment and accepted into them. Uh, so in the firehouse, we kind of, we're just like, Oh, happy to be here. Don't want to, you know, stir any pots or anything, but there are a lot of things that happen there that shouldn't be happening. And uh, so I'm kind of, you know, encouraging the women to speak up in those situations. But yeah, the importance of words is big. And I think um, I always correct it. You know, I correct, you know, Bobby, I, I correct everybody. I correct everyone when they make comments, but it's because I know they're just doing it a mess with me. Uh, but also because I know that they know better too. So um, it's, it's, uh, it's, we, if we are better with our words, right. And whoever overhears it, hopefully it's a positive thing. Maybe somebody hears you saying something negative to me and maybe I know it's a joke, but somebody else overheard it and now thinks it's okay to treat me like that or talk to me like that. So I think that's like the issue I have sometimes with, with words in, especially the firehouse where it's a brutal environment is just like, let's be better about it. Right. And let's, and let's just watch how we can, we can make an impact on the next generations and make sure that they're better about it. Right. And, and you teach one person kind of how to be open-minded about something. And maybe they spread that information to everybody else. And maybe their motives weren't even bad in the first place. And, right. Um, and maybe it's they just, are an ally. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like social norms. Sometimes like I have to be careful with myself just because we got used to, you know, social norms and, and things like uh, I used to say that I, my partner and I would say, Oh, we wanted a boy, right. For all the, cause boys do all the cool stuff. And then one day I caught us and I was like, what am I saying? You know, like we're girls and we're, you know, we're women and we love cool things and it doesn't have anything to do with our gender. And so like, even us who are super, you know, you know, fighting the fight and, and feminists and pro women and all of these things, like we even mess up. So it's okay to mess up. It's just about realizing and doing better the next time. Yeah. That's a really, really important point. And, you know, you put out fires, you put out actual fires, but you mentioned to me, you know, putting out metaphorical fires when you, <laughs> when you get into the coaching role and having that, that even keel, that attitude, you're able to compartmentalize, you're able to kind of stay, you know, a, a very calming presence for people. And you mentioned that that helps you when you're on the field. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, coaching at the major league level, 
and, and how your demeanor just kind of helps translate over from the firehouse to the field. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just about that, like, um, kind of riding the wave if, if in a sense and, and not letting the downs be too down and the ups be too up, but, um, it, and, and kind of being selective in our direction too, right? We can't, we can't fight every battle in a sense or, or correct everything in one player. So we need to kind of find ways to communicate with that player where it doesn't overwhelm them, uh, where we could kind of work, you know, kind of, I, I always see it as like, I don't know, as, as women in, in these male dominated worlds, we always have like that, we look different already, right? Like there's nothing, I don't have to say anything. And somebody already says she stands out. She doesn't look like the part. And so I think that the moment we show up, there's like a wall. So, but this has existed our entire lives. So I feel like I am a master at lowering the wall. And I think that has helped me um, in my coaching because I, I could navigate different personalities in a sense, just because it's something that I've had to deal with my entire life. And now it's a strength. So, you know, sometimes we go through bad things to, to be better in the end. And, uh, but it's, I think it's just, uh, really cool. Like the relationships I've been able to build and, um, amongst the coaches, amongst the players as well. Uh, and just like finding ways to, to get the information across to them in a way that they know that it's all for them. It's nothing having to do with, for me, I'm just here to help them uh, get better in any way. Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit, tell us what it was like to, you know, step foot on that spring training field in 2019. And, you know, did, did, was anybody shocked by your presence there? Were, were you welcomed with open arms? Did you have to make believers out of people, you know, when you first stepped on the field, tell us a little bit about what that feeling was like. Well, it was incredible. Obviously, as a little girl, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. Um, and so to be able to wear a professional uniform and have, you know, I'm, I'm about, all about team and the name on the front, but there's a, there's a certain significance to the name on the back as well. And, and the things that my family have gone through to give me these opportunities. So uh, it, it was an incredible moment to one, see my jersey, you know, be out on the field and then get to do what I love every single day, you know, amongst people that look of what they do. And I always harp on the A's and it's not just because you guys are here in front of me right now. Um, you could probably, you know, Google search an interview and see me talking, you know, really good about the A's, but um, there is such an incredible culture in, in the A's organization. And I really value that. Um, I don't think everyone does, you know, as far as organizations don't always value their people as people and the A's definitely do that. So it's been an incredible experience as far as my interactions with coaches and just kind of feeling at home and part of the family. So that's been incredible. Um, there, there will always be believers that I have to make, whether it's here or, you know, an organization when we go out to play. But um, it's funny, everyone always asks me and I always answer like on the field, I, I, I feel normal, right? I feel my most comfortable on a field. And like, you know, when you think of it, like the men don't think about their gender where on the, when they're on the field and neither do I, I'm just a baseball person out there. I, I don't even realize I'm a woman until somebody looks at me funny because they didn't expect me to be there or until I have to go to the bathroom to the left and they have to go to the bathroom to the right, you know, but other than that, I'm just a baseball person on the field. And, um, I absolutely feel at home there. So, um, yeah, but I remember my first time off off this, you know, I was here, I'm comfortable, I'm feeling, you know, the 2019, my first time, I'd been here a couple of weeks, and we went out to the Mariners facility for a game, and everyone was like looking at me, I was like, why is everyone looking at me? But then I realized it, but it's just because I felt so at home and comfortable here, um, and, and as I always do, so it's been wonderful in that sense, but 
you know, they're outside of, of here. There are definitely the, the people that you have to convince and it is what it is. I, I just convince them by being me and doing what I do. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. When you're in it, you don't, you don't realize, you know, that you're being identified by your gender. You're just thinking, Hey, I'm a baseball player. I'm a baseball coach. Um, but then it is really cool on the other hand to think, Hey, I'm a role model for generations of girls and women. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, any little girls that you've run into that, that have said, Hey, are you, a, you're a baseball coach and, um, and how important that is to you to be a role model. Well, that's a, that's a huge part of my why. Like my why is to open opportunities for girls and women in the game to open minds up for both the girls and the women to know that there's a position for them uh, potentially in the future, uh, and and to open the minds of men that that women belong in the game as well. So uh, that's a major thing that I absolutely love and and really take to heart is is the impact I have potentially on younger generations and on other women that didn't see this as a path for them. So, I, I mean, everything I get to do as far as like on the MLB camps, I get to always speak to these girls, which has been wonderful. You know, since I'm the manager of the women's national team, they always kind of have me as one of the, you know, guest speakers or whatnot. So, so to be able to, to address these girls and encourage them to set high goals and achieve those goals and like obviously all the work that it takes to do so, um, I love to be in those positions uh, because again, at the end of the day, that's the reason I do this. Uh, and then the benefit of, I love to do this. So um, I feel like it's a win-win, right? And hopefully I'm setting a good standard for those that come behind me uh, and then, and a good expectation for the, the organizations and the, you know, the league that this is what women should, should do or be in order to get to this point. So I, I think it's, it's an honor to be in front of uh, young girls and, and set a standard. And it's really cool. My niece thinks I'm sweet. I'm super cool. Right. So, so that's all that matters. And you said your nephew wears your number eight as well too, which I think is really yes. cool. Yeah. My nephew now plays baseball and he, uh, he wears number eight, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I want to ask one more question and then I want to get over to the Q and a, so think about what questions you guys have. I'm just curious what your day to day is like at spring training camp. I know it's a little bit different right now. You just have the minor leaguers there, not asking about who specifically you're working with, but kind of what kinds of drills do you do? Are you working just with the catchers? What's, what's your day like? Yep. I'm mostly with the catchers, um, and help, uh, Gabe Ortiz, the catching coordinator and whatever he needs as far as the catchers, but uh, morning meetings. And then we get on the field and we start drilling the catchers. We start in a progression, right? So it's not all at once or anything like that. So we had the mini campers here a few days and uh, we're just getting started with the uh, rest of the spring training guys coming in. So uh, we're receiving drills, uh, blocking drills, anything like that so that they can get some work in, get comfortable before we start playing games. Uh, throw batting practice is one of my favorite things to do. So I try to get at least one batting practice a day. Um, yeah. And help in, in whatever way possible. We have some meetings, you know, as far as the catching position, the most important position on the field. Um, we have a lot of meetings with them and uh, it's just about mindset, leadership roles, the role that they play presence and everything like that, as far as uh, the role they play on a team to a pitching staff and, and to the, you know, to the entire team and stuff like that. So we, we just kind of go through those mental skills on top of the physical stuff as well. All right. So let's get to some Q and a, we actually have one that was submitted ahead of time, but first I just want to let you guys know for the Q and a 
portion, which we'll do for the next 15 minutes or so, you know, you have a few options. You can write your question in the chat. You can raise your hand and Colette will unmute you and I'll call on you. Uh, however, however you want to do it. I can't see everybody just yet, but I imagine that I'll probably be able to see everyone when it comes time to do that. But I wanted to start, start first with our question that was submitted by Rob Town from ahead of time. He said, my question is uh, for Coach Alvarez is throughout her journey, journey to get where she is today. I'm sure there have been many roadblocks and times she may have questioned giving up. What mantras or sayings do you hold fundamentally true to give you the courage and confidence to never give up? I never give up, <laughs> but there was definitely just like the path wasn't there, right? I never saw myself as like this being an option. So I think my answer is more like, I, that's why I'm a firefighter paramedic, right? Because there was like, I, I'm on this really wavy road of, of getting to here. Um, but, you know, I studied film in school and then I was an administrator in the public school system and then I became a firefighter and now, you know, I'm the baseball coach. So it's been a long way. So I don't think it was necessarily that there were moments that I would give up. I, I get, maybe I did give up. Maybe that's how we see me after college is giving up. Now I have to rethink this, but, but maybe the, it's just the idea of there wasn't that, I don't know. I didn't have this in my mind, which is why I think it's so important for me to, to be in front of little girls and speak to them is, is so that they have this potentially as a goal in the future that they could achieve. And so eventually when I saw myself, I got back into baseball as a player and stuff. Um, and then I stopped playing. I knew I would go all into coaching. And so I just, I just like dedicated myself to what that meant. And it was, it was flipping a page. I was no longer a player. I no, no longer want to play touch, you know, and I no longer think I can play. It's about now it's my job is to make somebody else better. And so I've just like dialed myself into um, knowing as much, right. As if you get me talking about catching, we'll be here for three hours. So, or more, but um, I, like nerding out on catching information and knowing everything possible so that I could decipher for my players who don't have the time, what the best information is to make them better. Um, as far as I'm, man, I don't know. I always think of the quote, I am woman, hear me roar. I don't know if that is the, <laughs> the quote I should have thrown out right there, but that's kind of just like helped me push forward as far as if there were any, re any resistance, but I I'm very much, if I do what I love and I'm dedicated to being, um, you know, a student of the game and constantly learning and adapting that, then, then I will go through any roadblock. In the meantime, I will say though, Veronica, what you were talking about, about, um, you know, the confidence that, that you have. And I know sometimes men, are they, they feel like they are up to the job first thing, whether they're going to an interview, whether they're stepping out on a baseball field and sometimes, and this is not everyone, but it, you, you tend to see that women, you know, under underplay their skills, right? They're, Oh, maybe I'm not qualified or maybe I need a little extra work or, um, whereas the, the confidence kind of should even out to the middle. It was like being realistic about what you have to offer to the table. So do you, mm -hmm. if you go into an interview or a coaching, you know, a coaching interview, or when you step on a field, you know, let's say for a championship game or for a medal, which you've done in various countries, do you go in there saying, oh, I'm going to win this. Or do you go in there saying, <laughs> well, I've, I've done a lot to get here. Like, let's see what happens. I mean, I think the player mindset too. And, and just as like an athlete, my whole life, it's, I'm going to win this. Right. But knowing that there are things that I'm going to learn, it's not that I know everything about certain job or certain path. It's just that it's that I know that I have the ability to learn, 
the things that I do not learn. So I go into confidently. I know, I know a good chunk of it, or I, I, I bring a lot to the table and there are things that I, everyone will not know. And that I have the, I don't have, I can let go of the ego. I'm willing to learn anything and listen to somebody else. So like, that's what I'm always like here at, at camp. I, that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to see who, how can I contribute? How can I make a better, a player better? And how, who do I stand next to so that I can get better myself? Right. So I'm always trying to learn in any way, but I go into things confidently that I'm going to do that. I'm, you know, I, that I know, obviously I'm not going to go do, I don't know, be a, a lawyer. I don't know how to be a lawyer. Right. But I, I'm very much um, confident in what I've, I've dedicated myself to learning. Uh, and then also confident that I could learn something I don't already know. Well, a question from Colette, she says, who do you look up to in the baseball industry right now and why? Ooh, good question. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think that here in this organization, we have a lot of really great role models and it's, it's wonderful. You know, I, I think that our leadership uh, in, in our minor league camp is incredible. Uh, we have Sprague, who's an incredible leader. We have Lip that was here my first year and, and is still here, but we have these great leaders to just set the standard as, as what we could do and what we should be doing as coaches in the system. Which coach other than you throws the best BP? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. I'm usually just throwing BP. I don't watch anybody else. I don't know. We'd have, might have to have a BP off. Uh, I'll throw, I'll throw out my buddy, Bobby, in this conversation. He's pretty good. He has the best BP face. Which Bobby is that? Bobby, Bobby, Crosby? Bobby Crosby. Yeah. Bobby yeah. Crosby. I thought something you told me, I thought was really cool about you ran away screaming from ballet when you're little, I know <laughs> we're backtracking in time a little bit chronologically, but I had the same experience ran away screaming from ballet was put in something that like I was supposed to, I guess, supposed to do when I was six or seven years old. And I was like, this is not for me. So (laughs) you knew, like, at which point did you know, like, I want to, I want to be a major leaguer, essentially, I want to be either a coach in the major, do whatever I can to be part of that league, or, you know, win a medal as a, as a baseball player. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, like, I was little, I don't remember an exact moment, but I just remember loving this so much since I was that little and, and then just meeting people like my brother's coaches that still, you know, in Miami are still around and they always just like, Oh my God, you were always on the field. You always wanted to be a part of it. You were the one that loved it the most. Right. I was just a back girl at the time, but it's something that honestly, it was like, it's in my blood and it was born in me, even though I wasn't supposed to technically do it based off of, you know, the cultural norms. What do you think are the most impactful things we can do as an organization to help normalize women playing baseball at a young age? Really cool question. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, just more, I, I think the the creating opportunities for girls to know that they ha- have the option to play baseball. Um, that's a big one, right? So every, like, I've heard so many stories where little girls go up to sign up for Little League and they want to play baseball and they say, oh, no, no, you got to go over there to that table and sign up for softball. And so just like that simple of a moment, you just like detoured somebody from doing what they wanted to do to something, you know, second second tier to them in their eyes. So I think just the creating of opportunities involving girls in in your camps. And, and I know you do a lot of like, you know, community events and things like that. And I think um that's a big one. And like I said, the Latin community, you, there's a large Latin population in California and, and uh, also kind of directing your events towards them, the girls, not just the boys and making sure that it's a point 
to to make that known that it's, this is not just for boys. This is for girls as well. But um, I think that's part of it. You know, it's it's uh, highlighting the little girl at the game or whatever the case may be. Um, but I think that's a major part of it. That actually ties into another one of our questions, which is what are the biggest challenges uh, to getting more women to play baseball and softball right now? The I think it's it's um, more baseball than softball or more baseball and softball, baseball and softball, just getting them kind of into the sport in general. And I guess, you know, you could you could say two ways, you know, into sports in general versus into baseball, softball, if you can kind of like group them together, not the same sport, but kind of the same type of sport where, you know, I, I know growing up where, you know, there was a lot of standing around in the outfield before you actually know what's going on. I was like sitting there with my glove on my head and, you know, my parents are like, Hey, take your glove off your head and get in the game. It's a little bit different from let's say becoming a swimmer where, you know, exactly, you know, what your goal is just swim across the pool right? Um, or, or basketball or what have you like what, you know, what about getting little girls kind of focused on baseball or softball as a path? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, I think it starts in the home, right? If, if a parent isn't encouraging a little kid uh, to, you know, go out there and play any sport, it's not going to happen, right? Because unless, unless you have this kid that maybe has a friend that does it or whatnot. But I think it starts in the home. And maybe that's, it's the information is that you need to get out is to the, you know, to the adults and things like that. And it's just about opening their eyes to the opportunities that exist for girls within the game. Uh, the, the community events, I think are great. I know play ball, like USA baseball and major league baseball, that play ball initiative. And it's really just about, I've worked some of those events and it's really just about like getting out there and playing and being outside. And, you know, at those events, we sometimes play kickball and sometimes we play wiffle ball. And it's just about them getting involved in this kind of like the base running aspect and things like that, where they maybe just create a love for the sport. Uh, we have another question. What's the, what's the question that you are most tired of hearing about or, or the question you're most tired of hearing about women in baseball? And what would you like to say about it? So you never have to answer it. again. <laughs> That's a hard one. Yeah. There's so Thank many. You. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thanks to whoever submitted that. Um, I man, that well, that's a good question. I've never had that question. Uh, one thing I'm tired of is the title. Whenever somebody writes um an article about one of the girls or women that play baseball, they always label it. It's always titled a league of their own every single time. I mean, there's probably like 300 articles right now published in the last three years that are titled a league of their own. So I think obviously that's my favorite movie, but it's, I just feel like we need to get a little bit more creative here. So, um, you know, I, that's one thing that, that I think we can kind of move on from. Um, and I don't, that's a hard one. I guess I go always get asked this, but I think I, I don't, I, this is a hard question. I'm gonna have to think about this and come back to you. Yeah. If you, I mean, we have about a few more minutes. So if you think about it, let us know. All I, mean, right. the, I, I know too, there are so many of them that you're just yeah. like, Oh my God, I get this, get asked this all the time. Um, from Carlos Hidalgo saying, uh, coming from a family of baseball players as well. How was the sibling rivalry growing up as you progress and began to achieve those goals in baseball as a woman? Uh, well, I loved playing baseball more than my brother did. So there was always a competition as far as like, obviously our technique to attack each other was to throw something at each other. So that was our, like, I knew how to battle that when he was mad and he was going to throw something at me, I would just get really close and hug him. But, um, I, I used to play, I mean, I would throw the ball against the wall, my garage door hours on an every day, but I would have, have him come play catch with me. And then after like five minutes, he would get tired of it and he would throw the ball really far. So I'd have to go chase it. 
And then he would go inside the house and he, when I'd come back, he'd be gone. So there was always that like, what the heck, man? But um, it was always, you know, kind of a, a, he was also a catcher. So that was fun. So I got to learn at his lessons as well, most of the time. But, you know, he stopped playing his first year of college and and has now been my one of my biggest supporters as well. So it's been really great to have him in my corner uh, as well. All right. As we, I think we have another question or two coming in, but I wanted to ask what it's like calling a game. I mean, you're the, you're the catcher, you're the ringleader, you get to decide kind of what pitches are thrown and you set the pace of the game. Is that something you enjoy doing? Is that something where you kind of took some people take signs from the coach and the dugout and relay them? Are you like, all right, I'm, I'm the one calling these pitches. Yeah, I, that was one of my favorite parts about catching was learning my pitcher, um, working with my pitcher and, uh, you know, working against the batter and just kind of like dissecting. Uh, I love analyzing people. I love analyzing situations. And uh, that was fun for me, that relationship I could create with my pitcher. And then how could we battle against this hitter? And every time that hitter stepped into the box, I learned something new about them so that I could, you know, kind of battle them the next time. So it, it was one of my favorite parts of the games. It's kind of like I, I explained it to my young catchers. It's like you have this little bag of tricks uh, and those are your, your pitcher's pitches. And we don't want to reveal all our tricks at once, right? We don't want to um, show, reveal all our cards. And so we got to have to work against um, as simply as possible at the beginning and then kind of develop from there and work with until you can't, right? Until you have to reveal those tricks. But it's always, it was kind of always a fun, um, it was the game within the game, right? So it was the fun part of, of one of the fun parts about being a catcher. But yeah, I, the time, time, the playing with time is a big one too. I'm all about energy and the energy that the catcher brings to the game, to behind the plate, what, what he creates with his pitcher as far as a relationship. And that all goes back to good energy, right? If the pitcher knows that my cat, the catcher's on his, on its side, then the relationship's going to be better. The pitcher's going to uh, relax a little bit more and be able to perform a little bit better. So I think that's a major part of of uh, the game is being able to call it, understand it in a sense that you are able to call it in a good way, and then understand that the management of time, right? We could slow our pitcher down or we could speed them up depending on how well they are working. So, yeah, well, we're coming up on time right now. I mean, I want to respect your time. You've got you've you got to get back out there and and coach. And um, I know I could listen to you talk for hours. Honestly, this is really cool. It's been wonderful to hear your story. And thank you so much for joining us today, for spending your time with us. Um, it's been a real treat for me, and I'm sure for all of you guys. So thank you so much, Coach Alvarez. Really appreciate it. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for having me. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazon's 
of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 